Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read an early portion of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start down at the 10th verse. Where we're all well familiar with what is normally called the Beatitudes. We'll read verses 10 through 13 for background for our scripture this evening. Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. And may the Lord add his blessing to his word. Let us unite together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the tremendous experience that we have had this day. As we have shared together and baptizing and to others coming to rededicate their lives and become a part of our church. We thank you for the power of your spirit that was in our midst, and we know, our Father, that there were souls stirred this morning who need to receive you as Lord and Savior. May that stirring continue until we see the evidence of the power of your spirit changing their lives from serving Satan to serving God. Be in our midst tonight and bless us in a very special way. Whatever our needs are, we pray that you would meet them, especially if there is anyone who needs to make a decision for you to receive you as Lord and Savior, that this night will be the time of that decision. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We want to use that 13th verse as our text. But to review just real quickly the first few verses, normally what is called the Beatitudes, if you'll take those verses and look at them, you'll discover that Jesus is describing what a Christian is. And if you're not all of those things that he describes in verse 3 down through verse 12, then those are areas in your life or areas in my life that we need to work on to, to change things. He calls us blessed if we're poor in spirit and we're not dealing in the terms in in these tonight so I'll not comment upon each of them. He, He says that we are people that mourn, that we are meek, that we are our hunger, we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that we are merciful, that we're pure in heart, that we're peacemakers, that we are persecuted and we... Uh, are glad that we are persecuted. But then he says in the 13th verse something about us that I want us to look at tonight when he calls us the salt of the earth. Now there are certain properties that salt have 
that's has that could be used to illustrate what a Christian is. And I want us to look at at least a couple of them. And, uh, well, perhaps three. One of the things that we can discover about salt that is paralleled to the Christian life, and that is when it gets in a wound, it sure does hurt. All of us have had salt in the wounds, and it gets our attention quickly. And we are willing to give all of our attention to getting the salt out of the wound. There is a conflict between our body and the salt that has gone into the wound. And that's point number one. A Christian will cause conflict. Now listen to that because I think it's important for us to to understand it. I want to go over to Matthew chapter 10. The only other passage that I'm going to this evening. But I want you to go over there with me if you will. To Matthew 10 verse 34. When we're talking about conflict. Jesus makes it very clear that he did not come into this world to make everything peaceful, to soothe everybody's feelings, to make everybody happy, to settle everybody's problems. But look what he said. Verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foe shall be those of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Now when you look at those words, you're seeing that we're in trouble. We're not, we're not walking an easy path. We're going to discover that the thing that Jesus did carries over to us, and that is that he really brought conflict. When a person becomes a Christian, he's going to discover himself in conflict with somebody else. He's going to discover himself in conflict with his wife or she with her husband. He's going to discover that he doesn't see eye to eye any longer with mother and father, with neighbors and friends. There comes a different outlook, a different view of what life is all about, and this causes conflict. So he is not saying that you're going to have it all a bed of roses when you become a Christian, but to expect that you're going to be thrust into conflict. Now many people think of a Christian as some weakling. And it's usually for, for women and children and men, a man who is a man would have nothing to do with the church or with this thing called religion and certainly wouldn't become a Christian. And one's manhood has kept many a man from accepting Jesus Christ because he thinks that would show that he is a weakling, that he is a sissy, that he's less than a man. But we men who are here tonight would, would challenge that. And we, and I certainly would say to you that it takes a great man and a great woman to stand forth on what he believes and take the blot of what might come as a consequence of his faith in Jesus Christ. This we saw in Paul. 
We've seen it in Peter and others of the early church uh, leaders. They were men. They were a man's man who were robust and uh, particularly Peter that we can think of who was ready to fight at the drop of a hat but the, the power of Jesus Christ got inside him and took that robust fighting man and made him a fighter for Jesus Christ. And we need people who are not afraid to enter into the conflict and fight for the cause of Christ, fight for the, for the principles of the church, and not be afraid to speak out and say what is on your mind and heart when there is time to do that. Oftentimes we want to sit back and, and, and do nothing, but we can expect conflict if we're going to be a Christian. Let me say three areas of conflict that, that one might expect. First of all, one will find conflict when it comes to his work. Becoming a Christian will disrupt one's work in some cases. In the New Testament, the people in the early church were faced with this real problem. Many of them, well, let's just take a couple of illustrations. One group of people were stonemasons. And what they did was make idols out of stone or something else, but let's, let's use the stonemasons. There were people who made idols out of brass or, or other metals or other products, but their job was to create gods, idols. Now these people became Christian. And then the conflict came when they began to question in their own mind, how can I go Monday morning to the shop and start hacking out on a piece of stone the creation of an idol when I no longer believe in that God? Is that a conflict or is it not? Others who would uh, perhaps sew the gowns or the robes that were worn by the priests of these pagan gods and they began to say, can we continue in our present line of work and be a Christian? And I'm saying to you that there are some lines of work that Christians cannot be in. I do not believe a Christian can drive, for example, a beer truck. Some people might disagree with me. I certainly do not think that a Christian can, can be the proprietor of a, an adult bookstore. There are some things we can't do if we're going to be faithful to Christ. And so it brings a conflict into our lives. On your job or on my job, there are times that we are asked to compromise our principles, to lower our morals. You go into the workplace. Those of you who work in, in, out in uh, public works of any sort, and it won't be long until you will discover that your boss wants you to be dishonest in order to make a dollar. The question is, can you do that? There are some people that are going to be asked to be immoral in order to hold your job. And on and on we can go with what the non-Christian boss wants us to do. And there comes a point in which our job and our Christian life conflict. And we have to make a decision. We're at the crossroads. We're going to remain faithful to Christ or we're going to remain faithful to our job. But it's very likely in some cases we can't do both. 
So, we, we face those conflicts in the workplace. We face them as far as our social life is concerned. It would have been common in the early church for a member of the church to have received an invitation from their neighbors who were going to have a banquet and it would have been engraved and it said your presence is requested at a banquet in the honor of our goddess Diana. Now are you going to go to refuse to go to the banquet set up to honor Diana meant that you were going to compromise your own thoughts and ideas about Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, I go to meetings as a part of my job, and I like to go to meetings. But a part of those meetings, very frequently, is a social hour. Whenever you see the word social hour, just automatically assume a drinking hour, because that's exactly what it means. There's nothing much, well, there is some social things that go on. So I go to the social hour, and everybody's standing around with a glass of something, and I go over to the bar and ask for a Diet Coke. And I can't get a Diet Coke. You know why? Because everything they're serving is supposed to be alcohol. And they say, I'm sorry, I don't have any Diet Coke, but I can give you a glass of ginger ale. Now, do you know why they have ginger ale on those bars and they don't have Diet Coke? Because ginger ale looks like alcohol. And I could go around with a glass of ginger ale in my hand all evening, and everybody would think I had fit in. Because I'm doing the same thing there. I'm pretending to drink alcohol when I'm really not. But nobody knows whether I am or not. You can look at it and you can't tell the difference. You know why? I know you can't tell the difference. I've looked. There are some alcoholic drinks that look like ginger ale. And unless you smell it or take a drink of it, you won't know the difference. And so I go around with nothing in my hand because they won't give me my Diet Coke. Diet Coke doesn't look like alcoholic beverages. And it sure doesn't taste like it. There comes a time when we have to stand for our principles and not blend in. To stand out like sore thumbs if necessary. To let it be known to the group that we're with that we have some scruples against such things because our God, our Christ, and our church teaches something different. I'm not saying that one ought not to associate I am saying one ought not to put himself in a position where he looks like he is participating. Even though he may not be. So one's social life can get him into conflict. Thirdly, one's family life can come into conflict. And that's why I read the passage that I did. He said, I have come to put a man and his father at odds with each other. A daughter and her mother, a daughter-in-law and mother-in-law, and all of us are acquainted with those conflicts when to be a Christian means that you're going to be ostracized from your family. Even today, I understand, in some Jewish circles, when a person becomes a Christian, they have a funeral for that individual and he no longer exists as far as that family is concerned. 
He is put out of the family. Do not think that becoming a Christian is going to make a good family relationship unless the whole family is Christian. Because our non-Christian members of the family won't see things like we see them. So there's going to be conflict. And we're going to suffer for it. The early Christians suffered. We all know about Nero who lit his gardens with the bodies of Christian people at night. Who took people who claimed Jesus Christ and he took them out and he tied them to a stake along his garden paths. Every 40 feet he put up a body. Another 40 feet and up another body, a live body. Then they doused them with oil. And then they went along with a torch and set them on fire. So that Nero could sit in his palace and look out over his balcony and see his beautiful garden lit up with the bodies of Christian people. And then those came down and the next night another group of bodies went up on the, up on the, the poles. And we know about how they would put the Christians in an arena and lock the doors and turn in the lions in order that the people in the stands... Could be amused. Do you know what stopped all that from happening? A young Christian man went to the arena. I used to know his name. I've forgotten it. There the people were watching and shouting and screaming as the lions devoured the Christians. He stood on the top of the arena and shouted at the top of his voice, Stop that! Don't do that! But nobody paid him any attention. And he finally came down into the arena and turned to those who were governing the affair. Look up at them, standing in the middle of the arena, and said in the name of God, Stop this! Stop this! as the lions devoured him. The people became silent for they heard his words in the name of God. Stop this. They grew silent. They turned and they left the arena in shame because they had finally been touched by a man who would give his life to stop the slaughter of Christian people. They never had another slaughter in the arena in Rome because of one man's daring to step out in conflict. Well, salt causes conflict. Christians cause conflict. But you know, the Lord gave us a tremendous compliment when he said that we were the salt of the earth. If you want to compliment somebody, call him the salt of the earth. And we know exactly what that means. He is a great man, a great, she is a great woman. She is someone to be dependent upon, someone of value. Well, some of the things that salt does, it's a preservative. It will keep things from spoiling. You have eaten salt fish and salt bacon and salt hams, and I'm pretty good at salting down bacons and hams. I know how. And I can sugar cure with the best of you. Because salt is a preservative and you do it right and you have a product that is 
is well worth something. The church, Christian people, preserves society. I've said this before, but let me repeat it. It will only take seven years for this world to destroy itself when the church is taken out. This church, Christian people, is keeping this world from self-destruction right today. The little decency, the respect for human rights that we have, the protection of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that was guaranteed us by the Constitution did not come about because of moral men. It came about because of the men in the forming of our Constitution that were Christian who insisted that into our Constitution go the rights of human beings guaranteed by God above and made possible by the death of Christ on the cross. Most of the men who, who were working in, on our Constitution for the United States were Christian, very few of them. I think only three or four were not Christian. We can see the absence of this in Russia. At one time, Russia was 80% Christian. That is, 80% of the people of Russia belonged to church. But they let their lives become dormant. They were not on fire for the Lord. They were not living as they ought to. And eventually, the atheism of Russia got the stronghold and the church deteriorated to the place that it is today. And this United States in which we live is just about to face that same thing if the Lord doesn't return. We are allowing our faith in Jesus Christ to become so watered down and so inferior that the forces of evil all across our land are becoming dominant. And we will see the day when those dominant forces, if the Lord does not intervene, that those dominant forces will become superior and the church will become uh, inferior and have no value and people will be looking at the church doors to find out who goes in for the purpose of persecution like they have done in Russia now for so many years. The church is a preservative. Christian people are preservatives. The amount of effort that we're putting into uh, the protection of women and children from uh, in the abortion process and all the other things that we are facing is because of the influence of Christ in the lives of a few people. And secondly, one of the other things that salt does is it purifies. It's a cleansing agent. Those of you who grew up on a farm realize that cattle get pink eye during the summer when the flies are bad and get around the eyes. Black Angus don't have much of that. Uh, give you a little um, agricultural lesson. But uh, uh, Hereford cattle primarily and others but are, are very susceptible to, to pink eye. Back before they had uh, medicine for pink eye, the way to treat it was with salt. And I would get my cattle into a pen and saunter in amongst them they're being very comfortable with me. I could walk along and pet them on the back and walk right up to the, the cow. And when she wasn't looking, sock that old salt right in the eye. And you talk about a cow getting mad, I got out of the way after that. But 
it had to be done because it was the purification process available. Now they've got some medicine with a squirt gun, and if I was accurate enough, I could hit the cow in the eye. The only trouble was to figure out when she was going to blink and when she wasn't, and I, I usually waited till she blinked and then squirted, and I had a terrible time. But there was a cleansing process that took place with the salt in the wound. This world of ours, our society, when it comes to injustices and pornography and abortions and all the things that we are faced with, it is the responsibility of the church to purify this from our society. Jesus did not say you've come here to go to church and sit in an air-conditioned building and enjoy yourselves. He put us here to fight against the powers and the wiles of the devil. And that's conflict. We're going to have to be willing to engage in conflict for human dignity for the protection of those that are helpless. If our streets are ever to be safe again, it's because the church is at work. If our children are going to go unmolested, it's because we have exerted enough influence that the evil of this world will be afraid to do it. And that takes men and women with, with guts. But there's one thing that the Lord said about us, and that is that sometimes salt loses its effectiveness. And here comes calamity. He, this verse, he said, uh, if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? That's always been a confusing verse to me. What does it mean? I'll, I'll confess to you that until just recently, I didn't have any idea what he was talking about. I think I know. I did some research. And I ran across an article that I think explained it. At least it, it helped me. This professor who wrote a textbook for a seminary that I was reading explained that in those days they made their ovens outside, built them out of brick, and the bottom of that oven they lined with a layer of salt. Because that salt, he said, and I don't know that this is true, but I assume it is, he said salt has the capacity to retain that heat in that oven. But after a period of time, it loses its capability of retaining that heat, and so they, they shovel it out and put new in. And what they did with the old salt is they spread it on the street. Now, there was an advantage to that because salt will keep down uh, dust to some degree. But there it is laying out on the street just to be trampled under feet of men. But he says that's what Christians are. Sometimes Christian people lose their ability or uh, forego it and don't become effective in the purpose that we're put here for. And so the Lord finds nothing else to do with us but to get us out of the oven and throw us out on the street and let us be trampled underfoot because that's all the value there is left. What is he saying? He expects us as Christian people to be effective in our work as Christian people. And when we come to the point that we're no longer effective, he's going to remove us from the scene. I am convinced that there are many Christian people who die early lives because they are not effective as Christian people. And the Lord says to, to uh, God says to Jesus, why are we cumbering up the ground? 
with those people. They're not productive. And he gave us a parable over in Luke chapter 13 of a tree that the master went out and saw that the tree had not produced. I think it was three years, if I remember right. And the owner of the, of the vineyard said to the uh, caretaker, why do you cumber up the ground with this tree? Get rid of it. And the caretaker, being Jesus in our story now, says to God, let's leave it a little while longer and let me till around it and fertilize it. Let me see if I can get anything out of it. And if I can't, then we'll get rid of it. I think it's dangerous for a Christian to be unproductive. One thing it's going to cause is that the Lord is going to deal with us very severely to try to get something out of us. He's going to prod us in every way possible to see if we want to be productive somehow. And then if we're not, and that's the way I read that parable, you might read it differently. And if we don't produce for him, if we come to a point when, when the owner of the vineyard, God himself, looks down and sees you or sees me or sees the church and says, look, all they're doing is taking up space. There's not going to be anything produced in their lives. Let's put somebody else in their place. Let's, let's take that one away doesn't mean they're lost. It means he's just going to take them home because there's no more production. I think it's time that we in the church understand that it is serious business to be a Christian. And that we ought never to infer to become a Christian is a simple thing. It's quite a challenge. The alternative of not becoming a Christian is extremely serious, and that is a person who does not become a Christian is, is doomed for eternal hell. But a Christian who is not productive, the Lord is going to frown upon us. I say it is time for us to put Christ first. It's time for us to swim upstream and not go with the flow. It's time for us to be all that we can be. It's time for us to give glory to God as a church and as individuals and when we do that the lost of this world will see something in us that's different than they've ever seen before and they'll begin to inquire what is that and I'd like to have some of it what's your condition tonight sure most of us perhaps all of us I don't know are Christian. If you're not, the Lord Jesus Christ is still in the saving business. But the question that we're dealing with tonight is, are we being productive for the cause of Christ? We're the salt of the earth. He compliments us in giving us that title. But with that title comes responsibility. To be all that we can be for the glory of God. Shall we pray? 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.